the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. A lot of education talk this week, a lot of education uh, talk uh, today, and uh, no one I am more happy to speak uh, to right now than our friend Bacha Unger-Sargon. She is the deputy opinion editor at Newsweek, the author of Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy, one of my favorite public intellectuals. I was reading a Twitter feed of hers this morning on a New York Times article about learning loss, and Bacha, as usual, uh, you, uh, you you nailed it on the head about uh, what this pandemic has done, what it has done to the lower classes, how the elites took advantage of it. The first reaction I had, Bacha, I got to tell you, is I guess now of a sudden it's OK for The New York Times to cover the issue of learning loss. So many were denying that he was it was even taking place. But um, tell the audience what, what you were thinking when what you were tweeting about this morning. Yeah, I mean, what you point out is a really important piece of the story, right? Like, so we know now that the closures of schools and the remote learning was absolutely ruinous to poor kids, to lower income kids, to kids of color across the nation, right? And we know now that the school systems that did their best to reopen as soon as possible, those are the ones that did not use the pandemic to perpetuate the kinds of inequality that we already struggle with in this country. And we also know that it was blue states and blue cities and blue municipalities that were, you know, pursuing and, and, and perpetuating the learning loss, keeping those schools closed, catering to those teachers' unions. And it was Republican-led areas that were saying, no, we're putting all the kids back in school. So you have the situation where the side that claims to be founded upon, you know, um, hatred for inequality, caring about the marginalized, caring about the poor, is the side that actually was perpetuating inequality. And the side that always gets a bad rap for only caring about the rich was the side that actually refused to maximize and keep growing that, um, that, that unequal gap in learning between rich kids and poor kids. So that was the first thing that I noticed, right? You know, we, we basically have a perfect experiment here, right? We know exactly who did what, and we now can see the consequences. So, the, but, but the second point is exactly what you point out. So how is it that this is in the New York Times? Well, the reason it's in the New York Times is because it's 2022, right? So, <laughs> right? so they can finally admit it, There's a new it, president right? in, in Washington. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. But they don't say, hey, our side got this wrong. The other side got this right. Here's how we're going to go and reevaluate why it is that liberal, Democratic-led cities and states are much more unequal across the board than, you know, Republican-led states. We're going to go back to the drawing board and reevaluate why it is that the middle class only now exists in red states, whereas blue states are full of very rich liberals and very poor people who service them, right? No, they gaslight, right? They act like this Experiment didn't happen, and like, oh, look at this! Learning loss is real. Look at this! Remote learning didn't work. Who could have foreseen that? And I think to me, that's the real, 
the thing that makes this so enraging is the, the epic gaslighting. They can't admit that the other side got something right. They can't admit that they got something wrong. So they're just going to keep doing the thing that they got wrong. And, and that's what's so frustrating about it. Among uh, Yes, among so many. And you state it really well. We're talking to Bacha Unger Sargon. You can follow her on Twitter, Bungar Sargon, or at Bungar Sargon. You can uh, read her work at Newsweek. Uh, you should check out her book. Uh, Bacha, you make a good point. You know, we have the research now. It's a case of the actual having proven the theoretical, because a lot of us were pointing this out in April and May and June of 2020, and we were being shut down for saying so. But two of the things that were proven, and the New York Times writes about this in, 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 in assimilating all the research, it's kind of interesting to me, is it made the point that uh, – two points, really. The schools that shut down versus the ones that didn't had no noticeable difference in COVID spread did have a noticeable difference in learning loss. The schools that shut down had more. The schools that didn't had less. What more do we need to know? I mean, that's exactly right. So so their excuse for keeping these kids out of school and, you know, destroying their careers, essentially, was, oh, we don't want them to be super spreaders. Right. But there was already evidence at the time, like you said, there were already people saying, look, kids are very low risk. Yep. Across European countries, like European democracies, kids were back in school, kids were not wearing masks. So the only reason they stayed closed was not the evidence, which a lot of people had certainly by, 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 um, by 2020 when yep. the vaccine was already widely available. It was pressure from the teachers' unions. And, you know, something that I just cannot wrap my head around is, you know, I'm on the left, right? right. I cannot understand how any person who says they're on the left thinks that their job is to side with teachers who make ninety, a hundred thousand dollars a year, as opposed to the poor children who they abandon. Who are on but free and exactly reduced lunches. Yeah, no, they are on free exactly. and reduced lunches where they exactly. sometimes could only get their meal at school, quite honestly. It's not just that. We know now that right. up to fifty percent of kids reported um some form of abuse at home right. throughout the pandemic, right. which is of course always worse in lower income situations. There's now nobody no mandated reporter in their life to get them out of that situation. They're stuck at home with abusive parents. Maybe there's not enough food at home. I mean, it was just absolutely disgusting and deplorable to protect the feelings, the irrational feelings of a group of, of teachers because of the teachers' union and because they're a major funder of the Democratic Party. And it was just, it's just so corrupt and so, so dispiriting to see educators, you know, caring for themselves and coddling themselves because they're part of the laptop class and totally abandoning the children who need them. And we see it beyond the schools, too. I mean, uh, all these pictures of uh, well-to-do political leaders who were supportive of the biggest of biggest, the, the, the most draconian of mitigation strategies when they were caught eating out in public, or even after they had let up on some of their mitigation strategies caught out in public, the servants, often people of color, had to be masked, while those who were in the leadership did not. The elites didn't have to mask. The servant class did. Right. And again, this is, this, you know, you, you see this only in liberal places like California and New York because there was nobody being masked in places like Texas, you know, and Florida. So you don't have that disparity. But but, but it's not just about the mask. The mask is, mask is representative of a larger income right. disparity right. that you see really only in blue states and cities where um, you have 
you know, they're very expensive cities to live in. And what you end up with is just like this real, real income divide between the rich and the poor. And that those masks just really, really exemplify that, you know, like that scene of, you know, AOC last year and Hillary Clinton this year. And they're, you know, festooned in their thousand dollar dresses with some servant, you know, attending to the dress who's wearing that mask. And it really does feel like feudal time. We even saw it outdoors with Nancy Pelosi. Outdoors! Outdoors we saw it with Nancy Pelosi fundraiser in California. Of course, we saw it in Georgia. Bacha, the unions, you were right to, to mention that because it was really the unions pushing so much of this, not only on the CDC, writing some of the CDC's language, but pushing their superintendents across the country who who were supportive of them to keep the schools closed. And as someone who understands this probably better than almost any other writer in America, the need for unions once upon a time versus what they may stand for now, you know, they were there for the working class not getting a fair shake. That was the original concept. Boy, you know, you look at their salaries, you look at their income, you look at their political donations, you look at their power plays. I'm not sure that the unions are what most Americans think they are anymore. You know, it's very interesting because the idea of collective bargaining is so obviously important, right? You look at corporations and their workers just have no power that comes anywhere close to the power that the corporation has. And that corporation doesn't just control their wages, but they control their health care, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you're a parent, you know, just forget about it. You have no leverage. So collective bargaining is still, I believe, so important. And I'm so excited to see Republicans getting on the bandwagon now of collective bargaining and talking about workers' rights. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that the people in charge of unions, especially at the policy and the national level, um, they're part of the revolving door of democratic, philanthropically funded politics. So there are people who have, you know, pronouns in their bios, you know, whereas the majority of the working class today is Republican because working class people are much more conservative, you know. And so you have the situation where there is a real fundamental alienation between the leadership of unions and then the working class people that they're supposed to represent. Of course, it doesn't apply to desk unions like the teachers union, right? right. Um, I'm talking more about late, you know, labor. So you have this situation where workers have been left out in the cold because, Republicans support these free market policies that, um, you know, very much are bad for them, you know, economically. But then the liberals are saying, oh, you can't come to work unless you're willing to put your pronouns in your bio. And, of course, that alienates them from a cultural point of view. Absolutely. There's a lot more to this. If you can stick with me one more uh, segment, I'd I'd be delighted. Bacha Ungar-Sargon is our guest. You can follow her on Twitter at B-U-N-G-A-R-S-A-R-G-O-N. She's the deputy opinion editor at Newsweek and the author of Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. For those of you looking for a really great, unique investment opportunity with a great return for investors, I want you to check out my friends at Y-Refi. They are my friends. I've met with them several times. I've kicked their tires a bunch to fully understand how their business model works, and it is, as I say, really great. I'm talking about a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi helps people who are doing their best to dig out of debt, and they're doing it the right way, by doing the right thing to pay off the debts and with dignity, getting their FICO scores fixed along the way. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really great people who are doing really great by helping others, and you can 
too. What more can I tell you about them? Check them out online, investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. It's a local company. You can visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk about what they're doing, which is being in the business of helping people that others won't, and you can be to investyrefi.com or 855-316-3087. Batya Unger Sargon, uh, one of my favorite public intellectuals, uh, is our guest. She's the deputy opinion editor at Newsweek, author of the great book, Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. Batya, um, one of the things that must be frustrating about reading this New York Times piece today about learning loss, about assimilating what we are and understanding what we have done with the children throughout COVID, how it has disproportionately, so very disproportionately affected not only minorities, but also uh, uh, lower and working class Americans, bottom quintile Americans. One of the things that bothers is, yeah, okay, so people like you and I, a few of us, more than a few, but but not the majority, we were trying to point it out. Uh, when we tried to point it out early on, we were shut down, shut up, and censored. And I guess I guess we're going to have to get used to some of that. Maybe some of it is opening up. But will there be any accountability over any of this, or is America just going to kind of do what America does, which is forget and move on? I mean, where's the accountability for the 2008 financial crisis? Where's the accountability for shipping 3.4 million, you know, good working class, middle class jobs over to China to build up their middle class? Where's the, you know, where's the justice and accountability for NAFTA? Where's the justice and accountability for the decimation of manufacturing and the working class in America? I mean, we're not really good at that. You know, we're not good at um, turning the ship around. And I I feel like we really, really need to. And I, 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 you know, I honestly like the thing that gives me the most hope is seeing um, Republicans sort of turning on the power of corporations. Now, they're doing it because they hate the woke politics. They hate the censorship, you know, because, it, you know, there's sort of it, the leadership is offended culturally by the ways in which corporate America has become so firmly in the camp of the woke left. Um, but But you can't. Once you turn, you turn like, you know, once you turn on corporations, you turn on corporate power, you turn on the oligarchy, you know, that that has to have an impact on workers' lives. That has to have a redistributive effect. And I'm not talking about redistribution of wealth. I'm talking about redistribution of power. Right. You know, um, so I, I feel like I'm hoping that that is I will tell you something, though. Um, you know, see, conservatives are very excited about Elon Musk potentially buying yep. Twitter. Sure. Um. I, I, I have to say, I'm on the left, but I can really see the censorship, and it's really terrible. Yep. Like, it's really bad. Yep. Conservatives have it really bad on Twitter. But, you know, Elon Musk is not your hero. That guy is in China's pocket. I I'm, mean, with, I'm with you is, on that, Pacha. I, I mean, first of all, right, who knows what his politics are? They're a little bit all over the place. And indeed, indeed, in fact, voting and supporting Obama, Democrats, uh, call, yes, and the China thing is very disturbing. The more disturbing thing to me, uh, you tell me, I don't mean to interrupt you. The more disturbing thing to me is, have we really come to a place in this country where free speech depends on one billionaire immigrant in a country of 331 million people? That's 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 how we I get think free that speech. Is exactly right. That's, I think that is on the money and nobody is willing to say that. You know, the whole point of this country is you're not supposed to rely for your rights on the patronage of some 
you know, some some feudal lord who happens to share your values, right? The point is that this is America, you know, like, we've enshrined free speech as, you know, the the number one thing that we care about, um, and we're just sort of allowing it to go hither and thither. So I I think you're so right, and I'm so glad to hear you say that. Oh, oh, I I, I believe this strongly, but Bakja, it goes back to the school thing, because the only reason we have to make these arguments about the importance of free speech and open debate in what we thought was an open society is because we've gone through a generation of kids going through schools, children going through schools where they were not taught to appreciate the importance of free speech in the First Amendment. We have sent a generation of kids through school. That generation is older now. They were taught to learn to hate most of things that took place between, I don't know, 1775 and 1792. And these are the people that are kind of now in charge of social media, the 30-somethings. <laughs> I got I, – I, you know, it's not that hard for me to connect those dots. It's true. However, the younger generation, the Gen Z generation, they hate cancel culture. They hate millennials. Oh. They think they're super lame. Good. So hopefully they're going to start to see a little <laughs> bit of a better okay, culture. Good. So we'll have one generation. We'll segregate <laughs> off in order to restore – Our First Amendment and Bill of Rights. But on that, you see this not just here. You kind of see this in so many areas. Um, I have to tell you, I think, uh, starting with the children, uh, what Republicans and conservatives are saying about children now versus what the left and Democrats are saying, it's not just the schools, but a lot of it is what's going on in the schools. seems to me like the left is very – um, has very ardent about weaponizing children and using adult political themes to uh, play out on the school yards of our nation's schools right now. When you look at the transgender debate, when you look at the CRT debates, it's a it's a weird thing what they're using children for on the left. I have to say two things have really mystified me in the last, you know, recently. The first is the left's attachment to, you know, apparently there's a human right for a kindergarten teacher to teach their children, the Appa- children in their charge about sexual orientation. Apparently, I mean, I, yeah. I, if you had told me that that, that was the hill that liberals were going to die on, I wouldn't have believed you. But apparently, you know, this is something that gets them really emotional. I have to say the other thing I found very surprising, I'm really interested to hear what you think about this. I, I struggle to understand the, the rights attachment emotional attachment to the unborn. Okay. Like, I, 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 I see why, you know, they think that, you know, life begins at conception. I don't think that because I'm a religious Jew, so I think it begins sometime after that, and I'm generally pro-choice, although only for the first trimester. I think it gets kind of barbaric after that. Okay. Um, but, but, but I don't understand why. It seems to me that they are equally emotionally attached Inter- to this idea Interesting of comparison and dichotomy. Um, would you do me a favor, Bacha, and let me invite you on next week and we can do this at length? I think it would be yeah, a lot of fun and very to. educational for certainly me. Would you? Can I? Can, can do we do, put a bookmark on this? <laughs> put a pin in okay. this grenade, a bookmark, whatever you want. <laughs> you know how much I respect and love you. Thank you, Bacha. Yes, thank you so much for having me. We'll Talk pick it up soon. next week. You betcha. <laughs> Bacha Unger Sargon. Check her book out, Bad News How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. Follow her on Twitter. Reader at Newsweek. All right, Pacha, God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. God bless you too, Seth. Talk to you soon. Bye. 
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We've spent a lot of uh, this week talking about education. It's, of course, among other things, Teacher Appreciation Week. There's some lawsuits being filed. There's some statements being issued, all going in the right direction. One of the leaders in that movement is uh, my candidate for superintendent of public instruction. You've heard her before. She is Shiri Sapir. You can go to her website at shirisapir.com, S-H-I-R-Y-S-A-P-I-R. Sherry, oh my gosh, you're busy, and I'm glad you're busy. You need to be busy. Thank you for joining us again. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Uh, let's just start this way. Uh, today, you and a few others uh, signed an open uh, an open letter on behalf of concerned parents and community leaders to the Scottsdale Unified School District about uh, teaching five and six year olds uh, transgender idea, you know, transgender sexual thematics, five and six year olds. Talk to us about what the hell is going on at Scottsdale Unified. I wish it was unique for Scottsdale, but honestly, this is all over the state and all over the nation. Uh, I'm not sure why they decided that it's okay to take the children who barely got out of diapers, mind you, at five and six years old, asking them uh, or telling them, really. That teacher actually told those children that uh, they may not know what gender they want to be, and so they grow up. She told them not to call her Mrs. or Mr., just by her name. So... This has no place, absolutely no place, in our public education. And uh, the administrators need to have a meeting and say, you know what, we've gone too far. Parents are paying attention. We're not going to do this again because I'm telling you, we're not going to stop fighting about this. This is absolutely unacceptable for any adult to have a uh, a conversation about sexuality or sexual orientation with a 5 or 6 or 7 or, for that matter, a 12 or 15-year-old. It's absolutely unacceptable. And they're doing it. It's 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 absolutely under uh, unacceptable, and it's also from everything I have known and read about uh, children education, uh, what age appropriate materials are okay for children. I mean, you introduce kids to this stuff at at these young ages, five, six. I mean, five year olds think sometimes they're Superman, but you're now introducing to them these notions that they can change their sex. Sometimes the Teachers and the administration will even keep that information from the parents. I mean, we are talking about consequential long-term damage to these children, I believe. Absolutely. And nobody can measure that damage to the child, to the confused child, and nobody can claim to know what damage that this might do. And the fact that they're hiding this from the parents and the fact that they're not receiving a consent from a parent before they have these kind of conversations this is the problem. If some parents want these conversations to go on between themselves and adults, they should be able to take their children to these kind of institutions and do it freely. We say we don't want that. And that's, that's where the line is drawn. I'm really not sure. I'm, I'm amazed. We should all be amazed by the fact that we even have a public conversation about this, a debate as to what is acceptable for a parent, for our comfort level, and really for this society. As to what these children, children at age five or six, should be talking about teddy bears. Right. They should be talking about, you know, uh, rainbows and stars. They should not be talking about, I'm not a mister, I'm not a missus, you may or may not want to be a boy when you grow up. Yeah, you're not really a superman. Maybe you want to be a superwoman. That's not an appropriate conversation. Teach them to read and write. That's your job, and that's where you should stop. 
And it's not as if we're uh, we're knocking it out of the park on proficiency with reading and writing at the well. No, I guess no. Nate measures fourth grade, and I've been looking at some of those numbers. It's not as if we're, we're we have a surfeit of time to teach these kids what they need to know to be you know responsible people in this world, right? Exactly, we're filling the time with fillers that are a inappropriate, immoral, and damaging, but b do nothing for the cause and for the for the mission of the school. The mission of the school should be to prepare our children uh, to be, you know, productive members of society. Their job when they're so young is to teach them to read and to write proficiently, do math and some science will be nice, and some history, not revisionist history. That's their job. That's not what we're getting. So we're not getting a return on our investment and our money, and it's, it's got to stop. Or the, or the constitutional duty of what the entire education system in Arizona or throughout this country is supposed to be. This was a short segment. We'll have a longer one when we come back, Shiri. Our guest is Shiri Sapir. She is candidate, my candidate. I've endorsed her for superintendent of public instruction. You can go to her website, shirisapir.com, S-H-I-R-Y-S-A-P-I-R.com. I want to talk to her about more of this when we come back. Interesting. Think about it. She's running for the office of superintendent of public instruction, not superintendent of public discussion of adult sexual themes, which is what our schools are involving our kids in. I'm Seth Liebson. She's Sherry. We'll be right back. Uh, Sherry Sapir is someone who won't back down. Candidate for superintendent of public instruction. My candidate, Sherry, thanks for staying with us. Talking about the transgender education and discussions um, that we were that are taking place throughout Arizona. You wrote a public letter, signed a public letter to the Scottsdale uh, to the Scottsdale School District uh, earlier today. The other element that I, I just touched on briefly in our last segment, really interesting to me, is we are reading more and more about school policies where the administrators and the teachers are not going to share what they know with the parents about the children's um, sexual confusion or or concepts about uh, transgender ideation, if you will. They want to keep it from the parents. We are in this weird thing, this weird place, Sherry. You've heard it from Joe Biden. You've heard it from Terry McAuliffe. You hear it from the teachers' unions talking about they are our kids, the teacher, as if the, the kids are not the parents' kids. They are the, the state's kids. This, this is highly worrisome, as if they belong to the state. The state is the parent, and Latin parents patriae. This is the mark of, frankly, Sherry, I'll say it. You don't have to. I'll say it. This is the mark of communist institutions and states. Oh, absolutely. And I will say it, too, because uh, absolutely, we can't hide away from this. Listen, what they're trying to tell us right now is that they have a better idea as to what is best for our children, that they can uh, consult with our children about personal medical issues of our children without ever letting us know. And people need to be alarmed about this, and it really should be a bipartisan consensus. This should not be... Uh, something that only Republicans uh, advocate. At Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't want your child to be told by anyone. Uh, you know, and I've spoken to some people, you know, they believe in this way. They really do believe that if your child is pregnant uh, and they're a teacher, that should be between them and, and your child. They should not let you know about this. Can you imagine if you're a mother and your child is pregnant and the teacher sends her to uh, get rid of it with the unbeknownst to you? What is this? We can't allow uh, for this incentive to happen, and we have a bunch of lawsuits all around the nation, Good. by the way, of parents that are suing the school district because they're giving hormone blockers, 
they're sending these children to get surgeries to transition um, their gender and unbeknownst to the parents. And they're concealing. So, and they're concealing what 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 in most states is considered a crime. We learned that case out of Virginia, right, where 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 a uh, quote unquote transgender student uh, was assaulting people in bathrooms, and right. they were keeping that from the public. Uh, just moving the kids along and keep it the, the level of concealment in order to push this agenda is an amazing thing to me. The concealment is there because it would never be accepted if the public knew about it. And that's why I'm so happy you're exposing it. Can, can I can I run another quick issue by you today just because it, it was largely in the news? It was a large issue, a big issue in the news today. New York Times did a big story today on the research that we uh, have now accumulated on the cost of learning loss over school shutdowns throughout COVID. The amazing thing to me is the New York Times now, I guess, thinks it's okay to talk about this. A lot of us were trying to talk about it in 2021. A lot of us predicted it because it was common sense. There is a lot of learning loss. Back to the point, not as if we were doing great before COVID. Right, Sherry? Absolutely. And there is no curiosity on, on behalf of the powers that be to get our children caught up. Right. That is what I'm so enraged about all the time. There is so much money that was funneled to the state for the purpose of getting our kids, uh, our children caught up. And that's not the case. There was no tutoring time. There was never any real summer schools. I mean, why are we sending our children for the next grade level, not for the third year, when we know they're not ready? And children that are young, who cannot read, who cannot write, you're sending them off. You're sending them off to be dysfunctional students for the rest of their lives because they don't have the basics covered. They're not proficient in reading. You cannot be a good student no matter what. And you don't need to have a PhD in education to understand this. No, you don't. No, um, you you, you no. have almost 50% of our nation's fourth graders illiterate in math. Almost 50%. That was before COVID. Now we're learning that, and by the way, these shutdowns affected um, the uh, less economically uh, successful, the less economically de- uh, developed families, as well as minority families. They affected them the worst, and we were already at 50% at a general level of mathematical illiteracy. Absolutely. In Arizona, 60% of the children cannot read a grade level in third grade. There you go. The numbers are staggering. And there is no, as I said, there is no um, plan to get them caught up. So if I was a superintendent during this time, well, A, we would have never shut down the schools as she did. Good. But uh, definitely I would have had a plan of action throughout the summer to get these kids caught up or hold them all back. There's no purpose. I mean, we're just setting them off for failure. That's all that they're doing with our children. And I can tell you, I've been in a lot of schools, you know, around the state. I'm seeing they cannot even hold a pen or a pencil. They cannot read. They cannot put a sentence together. They're on the computers all the time. They're on their phones all the time. They, it's just, the, the learning environment is so poor in our schools right now. And something has to be done about this. This is not just about standards being low. It's not about common core being you know, the dumbing down right. factor in the state. Uh, it's just a learning environment. It's just you don't feel that like you're going into a school. No, it's it's about addition and subtraction and division and times tables and why Johnny can't read, which is something we have been working on for years. So we have these problems, and I guess the ethos of the ethos of the time is never mind that. The task of the school is to engage in adult sexual th- uh, political themes with our kids, right? I mean, we're, 
You made a good point too, Sheree, which is, yeah, when our schools closed down, it was at the behest of the current superintendent of public instruction here in Arizona with a big shot and um, set a, a, a big shot of adrenaline from the teachers' unions. That's that's yeah. just – that can't happen. That cannot happen again, and no, that's that why I'm supporting you. Our kids. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Thank go you. ahead. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a crime against our kids, and I, we should never let this happen again. But that's not even that anymore. Right now we have to move forward and look forward to our future, and the children – uh, don't, the, the, the picture that is painted for the future of our children is not pretty no, right now in our school. No, we have um, to. We, we to had a, a struggle before COVID, and now it has. Uh, it is. It, it, it is. But that struggle has a millstone around it, which we are counting on you, Cherie, to lift and fix. So thank I you for doing it. what you're doing, and thank you for stopping by on this busy day. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Again, the website, folks, elect Shiri Sapir. This is one strong woman. ElectShiriSapir.com, S-H-I-R-Y-S-A-P-I-R, fighting for your and your children's rights. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Portions of this show brought to you by the good people of Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com is the website to order the fruits and veggies. I take them every single day. I run a lot. I bike a lot. I work out a lot. I don't sleep a lot, and I am never at a lack for energy. I attribute it to Balance of Nature. I've been taking it for three years. It has kept my immunity boosted. I have not gotten sick in three years. It has um, kept my energy up, and it's kept my health strong. It's also great for repair. Um, repairing body, muscle, that kind of thing, because you're getting 10 servings of fruits and vegetables in a single daily dose. Pure, 100% natural, potent fruits and veggies once a day through Balance of Nature. Check them out at balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Uh, I think I think we did good by the issue of education this hour. Uh, Bill, thank you uh, for your help, uh, both with uh, Sheree and Bacha. You know, teach your children well. Um, it's not just a song uh, by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. It goes back a lot farther than that, might I just uh, suggest, uh, everything from Deuteronomy to uh, Proverbs. And in that notion of teaching children well, of course, as I said in my monologue in the first hour, during Teacher Appreciation Week, do appreciate the good teachers. There are good teachers. Uh, there are great teachers. And it is because of good and great teachers that this society has thrived as long as it has and as well as it has. But if you are detecting a turn, a turn in our society, you know, as Harry Jaffa said in 1776, this country was nothing promising to become everything. Perhaps today it is everything promising to become nothing. If you are detecting a turn, Look to the education system, and I'll tell you why. The left is. The left is. Why do you think they're starting with five- and six-year-olds? Why do you think they're starting with four-year-olds? Because they know what can be done by taking young minds and training them up. You can train a young mind up for ill. You can train a young mind up for good. You can train a great child, and you can train a menace to society. As Bacha said, interesting where the Republicans and Democrats are on this kind of thing. But look to the states that took this seriously and look to the states that took the teachers' unions seriously. It's a fair comparison. It is not a set of fair outcomes.
because the children aren't R and D. They're not blue and red. The left thinks they should be. The right just wants to raise them up well. Is that so much to ask? I'm Seth Leibson. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 